Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 2nd, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shifley. Good evening, sir. Yes, got a lot to talk about tonight. We're excited to welcome into the show in about 20 minutes a DNC member, national political consultant, Miss Wendy Davis. She has been a guest on the show multiple times, too many to count, and she's going to come back again and really get into some, I guess, different issues across the country, including her home state of Georgia, but then also out west, up north, all kinds of places where some of the best races are happening. So we're excited about that. But until then, we're going to try to get through some um, other issues. And here in northwest Georgia, there was an issue that caught um, local attention in a big way and got national attention, really, and I guess we'd say a different way. Um, but that would be that Marjorie Taylor Greene's husband, Perry um, Green, filed for divorce. And there's a lot about this that's maybe not political, some that is interesting, some that's rumor monitoring, some that is political. So there's a lot of sides to this thing. Um, I have one that I think is not necessarily discussed because it's not, you know, overtly political, but I find very interesting, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, Catherine, I know that you um, think, you know, people ought to really focus on how does this affect politics, not just personal, you know. You know, he filed before and then rescinded his filing, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But I sort of feel like. I mean, you know, I have no, there's no love lost between me and Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I also feel like it's, you know, it's a personal situation and, you know, no matter what your feelings are, it's always hard when a marriage falls apart. So, but, you know, that's sort of no, how I feel I mean, about it. Yeah, you're right that he's filed before and he's pulled it away. I'm not sure at the time that happened. I do know they have children that are, I guess, now all adults, and prior to that maybe all of them weren't adults, and that could have been a personal factor that really has no political bearing. And then part of it is she became a national figure, and whatever she might have done got spread you know, on a national, international basis, and that does have a political ramification. So – it's kind of interesting that which one it is because it's the first one. It's not as nearly as much a discussion for anybody outside of of that circle, if you will. Um, Tim, you live up in the district. You've worked in campaigns regarding this race. Um, what's your thoughts on the matter? 
Well, there, I mean, there's no way that something like that about a month before the election is going to help. It might not hurt her that much, uh, the way this district's laid out, but it's certainly not going to help her uh, at all either. And from the political end of things, she's another one of those, as you know, that, you know, beats our party over the head with family values. Right. And then when this happens and people inevitably go to talking about it on, you know, social media and in the newspaper uh, comments and um, radio station comments, everywhere you can think of that there is, there's a platform from which to talk, then her, those who defend her say, wait a minute, this is a private matter and we should never <laughs> talk about anybody. Well, I guarantee you now, if the shoe was on the other foot, we certainly know what would be happening, uh, uh, don't we? So you know, yeah, it, they were the it, ones who just, talked right. about Obama and his family uh, and, and all and that. Clinton, of course. And, oh God. And and yeah, and Hunter Biden's laptop and. You know, all of that's, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but the American people have a funny way of deciding what is and what is not their business when it comes to these uh, political office holders who are very public people. And when she makes it an issue, well, I'm sorry, but it's going to remain an issue when something like this happens with her personally. Right, David? Yes, and I think that is part of the equation that how she, you know, discusses marriage in one hand, but then the things that we have heard about uh, regarding their marriage apparently prior to her getting involved in politics. I mean, this was things that probably weakened their marriage a lot prior to politics. And you're like, you know, as bad as that may have been for your marriage, for the good of the people in Northwest Georgia. I wish you'd have just stayed in the workout places because then we wouldn't have to know you. And then probably her husband <laughs> wouldn't have to worry about what all these people are thinking about him because it would be a lower uh, you know, group of knowledgeable people on the Green family because, honestly, if he's owning the – actually, actually, I think she owns the construction business, but he's running the construction business. Uh, she's in the CrossFit gyms, you know, doing whatever. I don't know who she is. I don't care who she is. She has no import to my life at that point. Um, but now millions of people around the country, probably tens of millions, know and, and follow her for positive in their feelings for her, negative feelings for her. Um, now, I, you talked about those uh, those comments, Tim, that were on social media linked with the newspapers. I don't know if the one source I sent y'all I would even call it newspaper. I won't mention it since I'm talking so negatively about them. But the comments were just nuts. And obviously you're right, Tim, they said, you know, like why are we talking about this as a private matter? But the one where it said that guy's probably a bleep. He can't even handle a woman that strong. Call me up. I think that was my favorite one that took the cake. Um, that, you know, just assassinated his character because um, he <laughs> didn't want to be involved with this anymore. Um, but now the one thing I think is an interesting aside to all this um, is the fact that what he does for a living 
if he runs her family business. And so how much of his decision-making had to be if I, you know, and I, there may be prenuptial agreements in, involved or whatever, but if I leave this marriage, if I leave this family, the Taylor family, does my whole career go down the toilet? You know, I've been working on this David. for, I think I looked on this LinkedIn page, more than 20 years. His, he may be willing to risk his whole career just because this is such a dire situation that he wants to get out of. Now, I have no idea. Like I said, there may be, you know, contingencies that got, got written back in the 90s when they got married. Who knows? But I do think that's a very um, strange dynamic in the way their marriage and their finances and his career are tied together in such a way that could be very precarious for him. Um, Catherine, had you thought about that any, or is that um, different information for you? But, you know, those kind, those kind of things can be worked out. You know, there's plenty of marriages that fall apart and businesses hold on. So hopefully they can work that out somehow. Yeah. Um, Tim, uh, any thoughts to, regarding to that angle of, you know, where does he go from here professionally? No, I, I, like Catherine said, I, I'm, I'm sure they, they're, they're going to work that out and it'll, it'll, it'll work itself out. And that's, that's one of those things that politically I really don't care about. Uh, one of those yeah. things that you mentioned, if she wasn't in office, Nobody would be talking about it. I'm still interested in the angle that she has cast her stones at us, and then when they get cast back at her, uh, she goes to whining. Her and her supporters do about it. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just the way things are. Uh, I I don't think we'd have said much of anything if if she if she wasn't who she was. And, and acted the way that she acts, and 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 comes with the virulent attacks that she comes at us with, questioning our patriotism, uh, and and everything else about us. So, well, Tim, I have seen this since I was in the College Democrats uh, back at the college I attended, and you and me and Catherine all have a black mark on our character in which we can do all the wonderful acts we want to. We can stay out of all the trouble we want to. We can live in every other way that people could call moral and just, but we will never overcome that one moral shortcoming. And that's where Democrats, because I've noticed people can do all kind of things on the right side of the aisle, and other people on the right side of the aisle forgive all that stuff. But you obviously have character shortcomings if you vote for Democrats. Well, if anybody would like to discuss that with me, they're welcome to do so, but I'd suggest yeah, that they too. get ready to get it coming right back at them about twice mm. as hard as they send it at me. I'm a political oh, yeah. animal. That's what I do. And that's what I'm saying. That's how hypocritical it is when I yeah. see that all, all take place. Um, yeah. Well, let's kind of segue this into something else, and even though Marjorie Taylor Greene has – an opponent here in home we talked to just the other week, Marcus Flowers. She has this personal issue she's got to deal with. Somehow she had time to attend the Trump rally 
up north, and I've came. I think this was in Michigan. He has so many. I can't. I guess I need the concert tour T-shirt to follow the schedule. <laughs> but um, I, I think this was in Michigan where she was signing his coloring book. I don't know why she was signing his, his book. Um, but anyway, she was up there, and she made you know all kind of comments defending him. But at the same time that Donald Trump's holding this rally up in Michigan, he tweets out, I guess on Truth Social, very threatening tweet about Mitch McConnell. I don't have the text in front of me. Tim, I have a funny feeling you might have it. Um, do you happen to have some of the verbiage that he used in that tweet? Um, I want to say it was an email that really got this going and it all started back in august when he called mcconnell a broken down hack and his <laughs> wife lane chow um crazy and then it es- escalated from there uh until this newest one um i think what got Trump going was that um, McConnell announced that um, he would uh, support the Electoral Count Act, which is going to, you know, tighten up things so that that situation that happened um, after the last election doesn't happen again. It clarifies things. And so Trump gets on this... um, true social platform of his and he just said that he has a death wish if if he's supporting things like this and that dead end uh green new deal i don't even know why he mentioned that guys the green new deal was voted down what three years ago in congress there's no there's no bill out there there's no law there's nothing and then he he um, called uh, Trump's wife his China-loving wife, Coco Chow. And, uh, <laughs> the, you know, there, there's only one way to take something like this. Uh, of course, the Trump spokespeople immediately came forward and said, oh, it's absurd to interpret the post as a as a threat or a call for violence. Uh, the the reference to a death wish is political, they said, rather than little, li- uh, uh, but uh, literal. But at the same time, the, the Trump people are saying, and I quote here, Mitch McConnell is killing the Republican Party through weakness and cowardice. He obviously has a political death wish for himself and Republican Party. But President Trump and the America First champions will save the Republican Party and our nation. Um, I I don't... (laughs) Oh, boy. You know... One more quick thing to add. Well, go ahead. Just when 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 you think that this guy does not have a bottom, so when he hits a new bottom, I don't guess we should be surprised. That that right. was my thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I think he's at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean, and he's drilling a hole um, to see how far he can get, um, you know, the Mariana Trench or whatever. Um, but, Catherine, let's kind of attack each of these parts alone. Uh, first, Death Wish, all capital letters. What we saw in January 6th, why would anybody not think that that was a, a real death threat? Who knows? <laughs> I, you know, I can't. I, I um, I kind of embrace the idea that I don't understand what all these people are talking about, just because it makes me feel smarter. If whenever I go down the rabbit hole on the internet and start reading all the comments, and I just feel like my brain cells are dying with each comment I read. Uh, so I don't understand it, and I'm not heartbroken that I don't understand it. Yes, now let's look at the next part. Now, of course, Trace, I mean, Trump said something that was veiled racism about Elaine Chow. I think he's actually done mm-hmm. this specifically about Elaine Chow before. Um, which yeah, it was somebody he put in his cabinet, of all things, but she was one of the ones that resigned and protested January 6th. But here's the bigger thing I want to ask about. Catherine, I'll once again ask you this first. There's a pattern. started with Ted Cruz, and it's kept on. Mitch McConnell's part of it. If I kept looking through all the the goings-on of the Trump administration, I'm sure I could add some more figures to this list of men that Donald Trump has attacked their wife, and they have not done one single thing to defend their spouse. Now, of course, you know the Republican Party – a spouse is to be the party of real men who stand up for, you know, good old long-term American values. Wouldn't one of those values be standing up for your spouse? Mm. I, I guess. Uh, I, then, I think there's probably a point at which people are just like, well, there's no. What am I gonna? What am I supposed to say? You know, it's one of those. Like if you if you speak about it, you're sort of giving it more oxygen. Um, you know, maybe maybe he feels like uh, his wife should be able to stand up for herself, or uh, who knows what what drives that? I I, I, uh, I would be. But I'm always hesitant and I to put judgment on people's family lives. But there's just no backbone. I mean, and it could be a, a, a political wife, the husband getting attacked. Whatever it is, you're not standing up for the person that's closer to you than anybody in the entire world, and you have no backbone to stand up to them, be it racism, be it just something so dumb and crude as how somebody's physical appearance – um, I think I've heard Democrats defend Heidi Cruz uh, more than Ted Cruz did. And I bet there's going to be more people defend Elaine Chow than have de- de- Mitch McConnell will. And, that, and I'm talking about Democrats or, or just neutral political observers. That's a sad state of affairs, and, and I don't understand how people can't look at that and lose respect for those individuals 
including mainly Donald Trump, but then also the other ones that are not defending them. Well, I want to welcome in to the Kudzu Vine for I don't know how many times because she's been a guest since the early, early days. I bet if we look back, it would be 2007, 2008 when we first started this thing. But welcome back to the show, DNC member, Miss Wendy Davis. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks for having me. And uh, every time I see one of those Saturday Night Live things where they talk about how many times we've hosted, I'm like, we should go back and count how many times I've been on Kudzu Vine. <laughs> so yeah, I know I, my number, when, right? <laughs> Wendy, bad news, I don't think we have uh, my, the the velvet robes that they give out after five, ten, whatever times. I, we don't have that in the budget to give you one. Um, so that's the, that's the bad news. We have a budget? <laughs> they, exactly. <laughs> exactly, Catherine. We have a budget. Question mark. It's, it's like when Gil Lindsay what? used to say, man, that was a good job when I was on WLAQ Radio. I'm going to double your salary, and I, my salary is zero. Um, so right. we'll end the math lesson right there. Well, Wendy, uh, there's so many good races across the country, and I wanted to start out with the one that – Really, in the late part of the summer, that was probably the most fascinating. It still may be the most fascinating, but it's not quite as red hot as it was earlier, at least on social media. And in the same time, it seems like that race has tightened up, and that would be the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman, who was not an incumbent for Senate, was leading Dr. Memonize by double figures in every poll. Recently, all the leads are single digits, and some, I think, are even low single digits. What's going on in that race? Well, uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the one of the pieces that uh, I read uh, said that basically the Republicans are coming home to Oz, right? Uh, they had a, a fairly nasty primary, and... Um, you know what? Do, what do what do we say? The the Democrats need to fall in love, and the Republicans just fall in line. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> famous quote from somebody, and that that seems to be what's happening there. And also, um, you know, Fetterman did a his team did an outstanding job uh, of tagging Oz of being a, a New Jersey guy, uh, right? And uh, and and had a lot of progress there but I think that was a lot of social media progress and uh, and I think people might be uh, getting a little concerned about Fetterman's health and also I think you're going to see in just about every race across the country uh, the Republicans are getting a lot of traction on their their crime stuff right they have uh, they have done an outstanding PR job of scaring people and making people think that we've never lived in more dangerous times, and it's all the Democrats' fault. And, and I think that's hurting them all across the country. Yeah, and, and obviously um, the health things, you have to be a doctor to kind of understand what the capabilities and limitations are. Obviously a TV campaign, you wouldn't have to you know, do as many public appearances and whatnot. And so – Dr. Oz and the Republicans have made it, you know, done a good job of putting that in focus. But at the end of the day, don't a lot of voters vote on issues? And if they're like, okay, I don't like what the Republicans are doing on reproductive rights or on 
the environmental challenges we have uh, on, you know, protecting democracy. And I've heard somebody say this weekend, those are things that Democrats are winning on. If you can make the election about that, even if you're like, I don't think John Fetterman's healthy enough for a full term, if you elect a Democratic governor, the Democratic governor could appoint a Democratic replacement, Connor Lamb, yeah. um, and then you would <laughs> still have the person to vote like you wanted, correct? Well, so the, the, you know, the interesting thing we see in Pennsylvania, and, and I think we're seeing it more places than we expected to see it, is we, where we have a governor's race and a Senate race, they're, they're not lining up evenly, right? Like all yeah. the Dems aren't lined up and all the Republicans aren't lined up. So I'm kind of fascinated. One, it, it feels like we had decided there was no such thing as a, a moderate or a swing voter or a ticket splitter. Like those were needle in a haystack kind of thing, but it feels like this cycle that there are a lot of people who are at least presenting themselves that way in a poll. Whether they end up actually voting that way is is yet to be seen. Uh, and Pennsylvania is a little complicated too because of uh, the environmental stuff, right? It, it's tricky in Pennsylvania, right, because of all their mining there. And uh, so it's you know some of the issues there are a little more complicated i think you if you have the who you're going to go sit down and have a beer with i think fetterman wins um but as we're going to see in state after state it's going to be about turnout and uh and making sure that uh that you've targeted your voters well and you turn them out and uh and and there does seem to be uh in a lot of states a little stronger enthusiasm gap on the democratic side and i think a lot of that has to do with this uh, the energy of the abortion issue. Yes. Now, to be fair, Wendy, if you want to have a colon cleanse drink with a sketchy medical track record off a click-through site, you want Dr. Oz on that one because that seems to be his <laughs> wheelhouse. <laughs> now, 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 Wendy, when you actually this next thing, keep in mind that we're going to have um, Tim and Catherine talk about other states. Um, that have okay. the same dynamics, so don't spoil it up. But I want to talk about okay. the overall dynamics, and it does get into ticket splitting. In a lot of places, we're seeing, and, and Pennsylvania is the anomaly, and that may get into Doug Mastriano, but a lot of places, the Senate candidate is doing better than the governor's candidate because of the ticket splitting. Is that some of that because of national issues? i.e. people look at, oh, the National Supreme Court changed abortion law even though a lot of the policy actually happens at the states. Is that kind of – or is it just based on personalities on a case-by-case basis? I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't analyzed them next to each other, but my, my feeling off the top of my head is that a lot of the, the governors – where the Republican governor is le- is doing better than the Republican Senate candidate is because of the power of incumbency for that that governor, right? That that makes sense. Well, talking about one more governor's race, I want to move over to Texas, and they don't have a Senate race this year, so um, we don't have to worry about that dynamic. But the governor's race is an interesting one because it has one of the most dynamic personalities um, running for the Democratic nominee, or he is the Democratic nominee, Beto O'Rourke. And he's facing 
Uh, Greg Abbott, who's a two-term, going to be a trying to be a third-term incumbent because they don't have term limits in Texas, um, and so it's a real interesting race. But that has a lot of microcosm issues because Texas passed a, a very restrictive abortion law prior to the Dobbs ruling. They had the most high-profile uh, school shooting we've had in many years, and so that's brought those two issues up. And then they had a debate the other night, and they didn't even allow um, you know, uh, an audience, including the Uvalde parents. Um, it looks like that Texas race has actually tightened a bit, although Greg Abbott has led almost every poll I've seen. What's your take on it? Well, I think um... – I think they're so, I mean, Texas is enormous, right? And you mentioned there are a lot of microcosms there. So there is uh, just a lot of different issues that are all very uh, tangled, right? You have all the border issues, and you have an enormous amount of Hispanic voters who have been, of the, in the last two cycles, been feeling more and more empowered, which you might think would be fabulous for our side, right? But in the but the, the the Hispanic vote, Latino vote in Texas is more complicated, um, and their border issues are. It, it's hard for us here in a non-border state to quite understand it in the same way. Um, whereas we're, it's easy for us to say, oh, his putting people on a bus and sending them to other states is just a political stunt. Uh, there are a lot of people, like just regular folks, not strong partisans, who are like, we've got too much of this immigration stuff. Yeah, go ahead and send them somewhere. You know, spread out the, you know, let other people have to figure out what to do about it. Don't leave it all on us. And uh, that that kind of bridges some of those partisan gaps. Uh, you have uh, Texas, which we would normally think is a very strong gun state, um, but you have this school shooting that has really, um, you know, complicated, if you will, like made issues a lot more gray than they normally are. So uh, I think you might see that race uh, get closer than it has been. Um, but I don't know that we have the, the turnout uh, capacity yet uh, in Texas because uh, apparently, you know, like although uh, our Democratic nominee is loved all across America and raises a lot of money, um, he, he's got some some of the far left issues that he ran for president on um, aren't as popular there in Texas, right? So he's trying to moderate, which gives him this flip floppy kind of thing. So it's it's just complicated, right? Um, and I, I don't know that we'll quite pull it out, but it's exciting um, to see people actually talking about some issues there instead of it just being personality. Yeah, it's an interesting race, and, and, and Better O'Rourke's such an interesting figure. I just – if he does indeed lose, which it is a tall order uh, to win election in Texas, if you're a Democrat, I don't know that there's – I don't know where there is for him to go after two statewide losses. Do you? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, and that's part of his problem, too, is it feels like he's just trying to run for something, right, which uh, is – you, you want to be a, a person and somebody people can relate to, and, uh, and and he feels just a lot like a politician right now. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do think he cuts through. I think if if he had a time machine, he could go back 25 years. He moves over the El Paso border to New Mexico because um, it is right there, and like suburban El Paso into New Mexico, and then just builds his career from um, New Mexico, and then he could be a national figure because he actually could win statewide. It's just well, except for there's a big tension in New Me- New Mexicans. Uh, see Texans as big rivals, right? Like there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of that sort of local dynamic that I don't again I don't think we understand as well from over here. But having worked in New Mexico a couple times, um, they're they're not big on Texans. So. Yeah, little big big brother little brother situation. I'm sure. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to pass it over to. Catherine, who will then ask some questions, so will pass it to Tim, and if they've left anything out, I may jump back in. Catherine? Hey, Wendy. Hey, so dear. nice to have Come you on. on the show. Thank you. Um, Always good to hear you. Ask, y'all. I get to ask you about Georgia. Woo-hoo. So what do, what, do we, what do we think <laughs> what do we think about this Senate race? Um, it's just feels so close and tight and it's hard to believe with the candidates that are running that it could actually be close but what's your uh sense of it uh so i i have been very confident that senator warnock was far enough ahead that we didn't have to be nervous and and now i'm nervous i just i feel like it's just getting closer than i'd like it to and i think I think part of it is uh, similar to Pennsylvania, that sort of Republicans going home. Um, they, um, and, and that's what makes me nervous, right? Uh, I think that Warnock has once again uh, had an outstanding uh, advertising campaign, right, coming across oh, yeah. as very relatable and using humor in a smart way and uh, – so, I mean, I don't feel like he's had a lot of unforced errors. Um, I think that it is, um, you know, he's done a great job of touting uh, the work they've done in Washington and the resources they've brought and how he has been forward thinking when the money, with the money he's brought here, talking about new industries. I think he has been fantastic in focusing on how he's had bipartisan work on some of these issues um, about the economy, right, and about helping veterans. Uh, I can't remember. I saw another piece today, which was another bipartisan thing he did, talking about that highway that he worked with Ted Cruz on. And, you know, and again, he used the humor, like, I don't agree with him on much, chuckle, chuckle, right? But if it helps the people of Georgia, I'm going to work and make it happen. And, uh, but I, and I don't understand why the, violence problems that Herschel Walker has. I, I don't understand why that hasn't sunk him more than it seems to have sunk him. Um, but maybe and the it's lying, like the oh yeah, the lying, like you know, sort of yeah. you know, uh, inflating his career well, I mean, and his everything. I, I, Again, it's it's remarkable to me how people can, like, I understand that there is, you know, the the standard 
what people think about politicians is they're going to stretch the truth or they're going to spin things. But goodness gracious, to just outright lie about so many find outable things, right? Like how yeah. successful your business is, whether you graduated from college, whether you the valedictorian of your high school class, whether you were, what was it? There was some sheriff something, you know, some law enforcement credit he was claiming that he didn't have. And it just was remarkable to me how how people just have no compunction about telling just flat out lies and and then he's like, Oh, I didn't lie by not mentioning that I have three other children. <laughs> okay. <Right. dude. laughs> sure. Okay. Um it's just it's it's baffling to me. But uh, again, so much of the of the issues and the energy of that race. Um, now, y'all have heard me talk about this a lot. In Georgia, if it's about if the race is about federal issues, then Republicans have a head start, and it's hard to catch them, right? And so, I think that's a part of what it is too is. Um, is that the Republicans have been able to focus on these national issues, which sort of make people go back to their teams, right? And there are more people with red jerseys than blue jerseys. Uh, although it's going to be interesting to, to see, it does feel like Warnock is still has the upper hand. I feel very good about it. I'm just more nervous than I wanted to be. And, um, and I'm worried that, that there are these ticket splitters who are going to vote for Warnock and Kemp. And um, and it's just sort of yeah, fascinating that my, to me. That was going to be my very next question. What about what about um, Kemp and Abrams and how uh, do we think that Stacey and her team have registered enough extra voters that aren't getting polled that will be able to push that over the edge and take Warnock and well Warnock I think will be ahead but. Also, the you know down ballot races. Are we gonna are we gonna be able to pull that off this year? Do you think? So, so I'm I'm not as confident there. I'm I'm just gonna tell you. It's it's I'm I'm very confident that Stacy and her team have like understand field and have been out there and have been working hard and have done good targeting and are prepared to turn out people they've registered and you know the and and have that motivation right like I'm not worried that they don't have the x's and o's right um I'm just worried that Kemp has been able to thread this strange needle of criticizing Biden and talking about how the Biden economy is so horrible but how the Georgia economy is so fantastic because of him right like like like, how do you know. do that? Um, it's it's puzzling. <laughs> and in the same way, he was able to not do what Trump wanted and have the elect help steal the election here in Georgia, right? But he's but he hasn't lost all the Trumpers, right? So I mean, yeah, again, he's, that's he's, a, it's an amazing little magic trick he's pulled off there. So you have some Democrats or some people who might be thinking that they'd like to be Democrats and they're going to be like, well, you know, Kemp's done a, you know, Kemp stood up to, to Trump and I should reward him for that. Like, no, (laughs) 
he did the bare basic of, you know, not helping him, not letting him steal the election, but he sure tried to help him win, and he yeah, sure hasn't like the, criticized like, him much. Yeah, that's like the people who are like, well, we need to reward Raffensperger. I'm like, for doing his hmm. job? Like, I don't know. I I don't feel that way, but but I think well, there are people and, who and, feel that way. Right. Well, and speaking of, you know, the job of the Secretary of State, right, conducting the elections, uh, I feel like uh, in 2020, we had the upper hand in terms of our side, the Democrats, um, being keyed in on having poll watchers and the whole voter protection thing, right? Georgia was one of the first uh, Democratic parties in the whole country to have full-time, year-round voter protection staff, right? Um, And we were on it because we had so much that we knew was going to happen. And we still have a lot of professionalism there and a lot of people engaged, but the Republicans have taken their stop-the-steal mess and pumped up on steroids, getting people involved at the local level as poll workers and as poll watchers. And I, frankly, am horrified and, you know, very scared that they're going to come in and create conflict and create tension and create drama and that it's going to hurt us more than it hurts them. And I hope I'm wrong about that, um, but it, it, it makes me very nervous. And every chance I get, I talk to people about being poll workers and being poll watchers. Uh, on our side, um, not because I'm so worried about the people, the officials who are conducting the elections, but I'm worried about these other people who've gotten involved in the election process who uh, who would be very happy, like those people in Coffee County, to just help them steal it. <laughs> and that's that's very troubling. Yeah, and and, and, that's, and that's not just in Georgia. Right, it's not just in Georgia, and it and it um, undermines, you know, voter engagement because people are like, oh, they're just going to try to steal it. You know, there's all kinds of like, uh, it it dampens the vote, I think sometimes, and mm-hmm. and it delays the whole process so that um, we were just talking about this last night. Like, what's the point in having returns parties anymore? We don't know what the results are going to be until, unless it's a blowout, until the next day or even two days later sometimes. So, but well, and what, I'm so, one of these odd people who's always hated election night parties anyway because people want to start working on that party two weeks ahead of time, and I want them working on turning people out to vote and what we have to eat election night. I don't care. <laughs> Right, and I don't want to spend any money on it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway, I know I just took us off track with that, but you made me think about one of my no, that's no, that's no campaign I, things. We have we have no uh, we have no specific agenda. Um, so, what do you think about Marjorie Taylor Greene and her divorce? Per, perhaps you know she's we've been through this before. And uh, Marcus, how, how do you think that race is going? Is it just going to be a blowout? Well, it's, as 
you know, everybody who's listening doesn't know that I uh, was in uh, the Democratic primary. I was hoping to be the nominee and face her on. Uh, so people might think that I'm still all sour grapes up <laughs> about getting my whoops in the primary. But uh, the reality is I looked the what I was trying to do in this race is what I think is the way for a Democrat to win in a Republican district, which was to try to be hyper local with the campaign. And, um, and, and Marcus Flowers has been the absolute uh, polar opposite of that um, in that it's been, uh, he's federalized the race from the get go and he has done uh, what you see in, in my mind, too many democratic campaigns doing, which is matching that uh, Republican campaign uh, kind of national, uh, we are saying that the Republicans are the devil, and enough that she isn't, don't get me wrong, uh, but but it's all you do is criticize the other side, and you don't really talk about what you have to bring that's going to be different. Uh, I, I don't see him being able to pull the Republican votes that you have to have to win this district because of the, because of the, the map, right? Uh, even though they right. added lovely Cobb County uh, folks to the district who are good, by and large, very good Democratic voters. Uh, it, it, there aren't enough Democratic voters alone uh, to win this seat, uh, no matter how much you pump up a Democratic vote, no matter how much money you have to try to pump up a Democratic vote. If you are, if you are not doing anything to reach those Republican voters other than saying she's an embarrassment, which she is, um, I'm fascinated and uh, about her husband filing for divorce at this time, right? Uh, you're like, gosh, there's something weird that he couldn't hold off until <laughs> after the election. Um, and so yeah. I don't know if if it's something, you know, more alarming than the the infidelity stuff that came out after she won two years ago, right? So I don't know if it's new stuff if it's her gallivanting around the country and doing who knows what um or if it's or if it's money stuff who who knows i my little snarky side is like well you know madison cawthorn was talking about all these wild republican parties maybe she was a part of all that so (laughs) but um but what i you know funny talking about ticket splitters right that's the you know every every reporter uh, wants to come uh, to the district and interview my neighbors who sound like they just stepped off a turnip truck, right? And uh, and prove how crazy everybody up here is, which is why she wins. And so I have to tell them that she won because she didn't have a job and she could campaign full time, <laughs> you know, two years ago. And that's how she became the Republican nominee. And then the rest is just, you know, red versus blue. And it's not that so all of my neighbors think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. They don't. There are a lot of very reasonable people up in this part of the state, but porters who come and they just want to tell the story about the kooky people who could support this kooky woman. And I'm like, really, the more fascinating story is there are people who are going to vote for Raphael Warnock and Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, find those people, figure out how on earth you do that, right? (laughs) And, yeah, uh, that, these, you're you're these, absolutely right. That is a more fascinating story. And um, but of course, it requires nuance, which not many people are interested in. So, and, any and, other uh, races that you? 
Yeah, so the one last thing is uh, I was kind of, every time Saturday Night Live had a new show, I was always sort of bracing to see if they uh, if they highlighted Marjorie and something else kooky she said. And, and she said really something very troubling, but it was last night uh, talking about she's now decided that her next line of telling lies is she's saying that Democrats are literally killing Republicans. It's what she was saying last night at that the thing up in Michigan that she was at with Trump. And, I mean, it's horrifying. And she had these two very specific examples that, of course, nobody – I haven't heard anybody confirm that, that was a, there was a partisan anything about those deaths, right? Um, but irony of her acting like we're the ones that our side is the violent side when she goes and wraps her arms around and like even did that thing where she's praying with the guy faking that he's one of the Patriots in jail, right? Patriots as they call them, the people who perpetrated uh, the sedition on January 6th. It's just, again, it baffles me of how you could just be that bold face in your lying. And it's, it's troubling, very troubling. But Saturday Night Live didn't pick Marjorie this week. They, uh, their new season they featured Herschel Walker. And uh, so another way that we're <clears throat> making the comedy <laughs> circuit yeah. here in Georgia with a Republican <laughs> candidate. Well, thank you very much, Wendy. I'm going to pass it off to Tim for the next round of questions. It's always great to have well, you on the show. You too, dear. Thanks so much. Hey, Wendy, how are you? I'm good, buddy. A new Telemundo poll shows that Democrats are now only barely preferred over Republicans in the state of Florida has happened to Hispanics in Florida to increasingly support Republicans there. Uh, Well, I I wish I uh, had thought to ask some of my Florida friends on the DNC uh, to help me dig in a little on that. I think that the the Hispanic Latino vote in Florida has always been uh, more complicated than in a lot of our communities uh, because of the uh, prevalence of the the Cuban immigrants, right? And uh, so there's always been this really strong anti-communist piece that they always uh, credit the Republicans as being more anti-communist, right? And so there's that piece of it. Uh, I think abortion uh, hits differently um, because of so many people who are in those communities who are Catholic, right? Again, it just makes it a more complicated issue uh, than it is for a lot of Democrats. And um, and the the dynamics there of the economy are a little bit different, and I think that uh, I think again you've got um, you've got a governor there who, for some weird reason, is is popular. Um, and and again, they I don't they're not like a border state, but they act like they're a border state, right? I guess they're a border in that people come across the water, um, but. Um, I think that just there's some of those issues that are more complicated. And, and frankly, I think maybe that's a place where the Republicans have outworked us down there. And uh, 
they've had a they had a lot of uh, Republican members of Congress who are Latino and uh, and have worked hard with their constituents. So that, yeah, that well, might be enough. You, be, being that you brought up how hard Republicans have worked down there, Donald Trump won Florida by over three hundred thousand votes two years ago. Uh, both senators are Republican. They have a Republican governor apparently headed for re-election if the polls are to be believed. The legislature is solidly Republican, as are a majority of the U.S. House members. So is Florida about to get out of reach for Democrats in statewide races? You know, I'm I'm – it's not clear to me, right, what's going on because there's so much about it that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like to me, of all the extreme people who are Republican elected officials, DeSantis has been just flagrantly horrible on so many issues, right? Like the, the don't say gay business and what he's done to schools, you know, letting letting people who are veterans or their spouses uh, be school teachers, even if they have absolutely no credentials that you would want people to be school teachers to have, right? They don't even have to have a, a college degree in anything. So uh, there, he is doing that um, something similar to what Kemp is doing, right? Of criticizing all these things at the federal level but claiming good things locally, doling out all that federal money as if it's money that he was able to manage well in the state and without ever acknowledging that it was federal money. I, I think uh, I think David might have sent me an article earlier today or I sent it to him. I forget which, but it was I think they called him the free lunch conservatives. Right. And it's like yeah. they criticize the spending from the federal government, but they sure spend it. And then you have I'm I'm anxious to see um, I'm really anxious to see I just picked up on this late this afternoon but you know the the horrible situation with the with Hurricane Ian going through and causing so much devastation uh, we're uh, the death toll I don't think we're anywhere near knowing what the final death toll is going to be from it the you know it's billions of dollars and although. He and Biden have both sort of played nice and said, you know, haven't been ugly toward each other. And Biden won't be. Biden's taking care of people. That's what Joe Biden does, right? Um, but mm-hmm. DeSantis has been a little bit less outrageous than he usually is. However, he is out there telling people, don't contribute locally. Don't send food. Don't send water. Send cash to this special account. And that account is run by his wife. Uh-huh. And I have, I have never seen anything like that. And it would seem to me that if, if I'm reading that correctly, that that is going to have to bite him a bit, at least. Um, I mean, it just seems so shady. And I mean, in just so many obvious ways. But yeah. um, probably. We're we're running really short on time, but I want to go across the country and ask you about one more race. Uh, Before this campaign season started, Mark Kelly was thought by many of the pundits to be the most endangered Democratic incumbent in the U.S. Senate. 
But now mm -hmm. he has a solid seven-point lead in uh, compilation polling. And the Cook Political, which is uh, almost a political Bible to hacks like me, ha has moved <laughs> his race from toss-up to lean Democratic. And this is happening while the governor's race there is a pure toss-up. What, what is it about Mark Kelly's race? that Mark Kelly is doing so well? Is it Mark Kelly himself? Is it his opponent? Is it his compelling story about being an astronaut with Gabby, you know, Giffords and, and her situation? What What is going on in that race in the state that Joe Biden won by 10,000 votes? So I, I think it's, um, I, I think Kelly has run a good race. I think he understood uh, that he had to just be campaigning and be working, be coming across as a reasonable person out of the gate, right? So he has has positioned himself well. I mean, to me, he feels like that same kind of thing, like I feel like Senator Warnock, right? Like he hasn't made any unforced errors, right? He's run a good mm -hmm. campaign. He obviously has a very compelling story, um, both him – as an astronaut and what he's been through with his family, with his wife being shot. Right. And, and the way mm -hmm. he's managed those issues to me, uh, he hasn't come across as, as a, as a strident lefty. Right. Um, and, and he's had such a contrast with him and Senator Cinema, right. Who is theoretically a Democrat, right. <laughs> his, his seatmate, if you will, there in the Senate. And then he, again, he's got the reasonableness factor and his Republican opponent has the extreme kooky, stop the steal, uh, pro January 6th, all that kind of stuff. And so the, he seems solid and reasonable going up someone against someone who seems to be the extreme and again, when you have, when you're looking at people, the person who seems more like the politician rather than like your public servant, those tend to be the, the politician ones are the ones people are more skeptical of. Hmm. If, if, I mean, that's, I, that's the way I kind of look at it sometimes. Yeah. I, I would love to ask you about 20 more questions tonight. Unfortunately, the clock on the wall here is telling me otherwise. I hope we can get you back real soon to continue this conversation. And with that, I'm going to send it back to David. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Yes. I, I appreciate this opportunity. Anything else? David, I've got a, a thing or two that I kind of wanted to sneak in. Well, if it's something, usually we say, hey, if there's somewhere you're writing or posting on social media, so if you'd rather sneak something in, go ahead and take your time to do that. Well, sure, thanks. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to say is that as Democrats, I, I feel like we're in a really strange place in that legislatively at the national level, we have accomplished such amazing things. But yet, again, I feel like we haven't done a good enough job doing uh, tooting our own horn, doing our own PR, right? The, the legislative successes that Joe Biden has been able to lead and the fact that Georgia sent two Democratic senators who've been the deciding vote on so many of these important issues, be it <clears throat> helping us get through 
uh, you know, dig out of the hole of pandemic, help us um, move forward there, make sure cities and counties had resources uh, to tackle so many things that hit us because of the pandemic, but then also to, to boost these infrastructure boosts. And now one of the most exciting, you know, climate change pieces of legislation has gone out and we're, we're helping working families and we're reducing the deficit and doing all these wonderful things. I had, a, you know, an exciting opportunity to actually get my first official visit to the White House a couple of weeks ago to celebrate the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's just like it's hard. You know, we usually talk about you only want to give people three things to, to make them think about. Well, there have been so many legislative victories. We just have so much. We uh, we haven't. I don't think we've done a good enough job yet making sure that people understood the the good stuff we've done. And on that same vein, I just want to throw in: yesterday was uh, President Jimmy Carter's 98th birthday, and uh, I'm so excited to see him getting more and more of his just due. I think he got a a bad rap as a, a a weak president, but a fantastic ex-president. He has been a miraculous ex-president, uh, but I think the history is going to be kinder to the success he had in his presidency um, than we feel this close to it. And if you just want to think about the environmental things that he did, goodness gracious, what if we had uh, kept that path that he put us on or wanted to put us on? Um, maybe we'd be a lot better off now than than we are. Yeah, so he had a lot of vision, I think, that was not appreciated because, you know, frankly, a lot of it didn't get executed or was undone in the next term. So echo that. Um, well, Wendy, thanks for coming on the show tonight. We've enjoyed having you again, and I, I want to echo what Tim said. want to have you on sooner than later. Well, I'll just let you know I'm talking to you all, and uh, I hope I uh, managed to uh, do okay in this pop quiz night, taking me around the country. And, uh, <laughs> and y'all uh, be well. I'm going to go uh, turn the volume back up on this Braves game. They're uh, losing 2-1 to one right now on top of the third, but I know we're going to come back. So, Well, I, I wish you right. luck because everybody else in football in Georgia won this weekend, college and pro, so maybe baseball can continue that with football. All right. We all have yeah. a great night. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Bye yes, up. and let me go ahead and set up next week's show. Uh, we're going to have Craig Pittman come on. And for the first time in a long time, we're going to have Craig come on not to talk about one of his wonderful books, but strictly about Florida politics. And, of course, we'll be remiss not to mention, you know, the recovery from the hurricane. So we'll talk about that from Craig, too. And there's a lot about that that's not political because there's, it was such a tragedy for that part of the state. Um, and so we'll talk to Craig next week. Uh, Catherine, you'll be on special assignment, I understand, correct? Yes, I'll be on special assignment in Arkansas. Hey, every state has something wonderful to see. Just find it and enjoy it. That's right. That's right. Yes. Probably okay. not the Huckabee family, but, but you know, <laughs> wonderful. But you'll be back in two weeks, and we'll have some other great guests then. But next week it'll be – Tim, Craig Pittman, and myself, and maybe we'll get a guest host. I don't know. We'll see. But until then, with the Cozy Vine. Good night, night, guys. Night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united 
America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.